Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Hey, Modern Therapists, we're so excited to offer the opportunity for one unit of continuing education for this podcast episode. Once you've listened to this episode, to get CE credit, you just need to go to moderntherapistcommunity.com, register for your free profile, purchase this course, pass the post-test, and complete the evaluation. Once that's all completed, you'll get a CE certificate in your profile, or you can download it for your records. For a current list of our CE approvals, check out moderntherapistcommunity.com. Once again, hop over to moderntherapistcommunity.com for one CE once you've listened. Woohoo! Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vinoy, and this is the podcast for therapists where we talk about the things that affect our profession, the things that are going on in our world, the technologies that we're adapting. And this is another one of our CE eligible episodes. And we are here to talk about chatbots. And in particular, the one that everybody seems to be talking about lately is ChatGPT. We're kind of having some conversations about this as far as how clinicians are using it. We see in some of the Facebook groups, people playing with this as far as, hey, write me a session note. Hey, catch me up on my session notes from you know the thousands of sessions that I haven't had before. Uh, <laughs> and we want to get into some laws and ethics around where our laws and ethics already talk about this stuff, whether it's not actually there. We also want to come up with some practical recommendations, recognizing that this is now a part of the world that we live in, and it's going to continue to evolve. And I think that this might be one of the first deeper dive conversations as it pertains specifically to mental health workers. So, Katie, you and I have both played on chat GPT a little bit here. I admittedly asked Chat GPT for a dad joke to introduce our episode here and <laughs> just didn't meet the my standards for really pun-based humor. And so I'm just going to lead into what kind of fun have you been having with Chat GPT? Well, I think the favorite one that I've done, and it totally freaked me out, was I just put the prompt, write show notes for the Modern Therapist Survival Guide podcast. And so I've done it twice. Uh, one of them actually is <laughs> our behind the scenes over on Patreon. But the the first time it wrote a whole bunch about self-care 
And, and this was not an episode we'd done. It just saw that we'd done a lot of self-care episodes. And so it just wrote a whole thing in the style that I write with all the bullet points and stuff. <laughs> and then the, the one that I did today, was it, it went and talked about how to navigate the current environment. So it was like, learn new technology. And it went through and, and had some other things. But it was very limited. It was pretty broad. It didn't have any deep insights. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't really our content. But it was, I realized that there's like, at this point, 300 show notes that it can scrape <laughs> to get how it works. And so that was pretty interesting. Preparing for, for today's episode, I created a fake client and asked it to diagnose it. I asked for treatment recommendations. I diagnosed us both <laughs> with our quirks. Uh, I went through and asked for a citations blog post about social anxiety. I did a whole bunch of stuff and it, it was a rabbit hole. I will tell you, I just kept going, well, what about this? And it was so much fun. And I recognized that there were some potential concerns that, that you've already been talking about that I think are, are really important for us to go into today. Because for me, I see it as a tool that I could use to help fast forward my thinking process. But some of it actually is just so broad and general that I don't think it would help that much. And some of it may be inaccurate or it might be biased. So so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it, but the jury is still out on on how I might use it in my businesses because I think there's some potential concerns with it. So so that's that's where I sit, Kurt. How about you? Besides uh, asking it for a dad joke, how have you played around with ChatGPT? So I wanted to have some of my own experience with this before I got up and really started talking with people about how do we use this within our field effectively and what are some of the precautions that we need to take. And I spend a lot of time talking about therapy stuff and researching therapy stuff, whether it's for the podcast, whether it's for my clients, whether it's for the trainings that I do. And I decided, as many of our audience knows, that I'm very much into distance running. So I kind of wanted to just see what it came up with as far as another area of interest in my life, but something that I knew quite a bit about. Sure. And through all of the prompts and stuff, I'm very impressed with how quickly it can create very effective things that look like blog posts or things that I would go into a search engine and find things that the language that something like chat GPT would bring up very effectively makes kind of okay, deep enough content around some of the things, but it became apparent to me very quickly that some of the information that it scrapes is not necessarily to the depth of things when you actually know about something that is going to be additive to your knowledge base. And I think in preparation for this and some of the discussions that I've had with other people leading up to this episode, inherently is that we need to kind of lay out that chat GPT or other artificial intelligence chatbots function differently from search engines. They are not the same thing. And I think that this is a very important distinction that we need to lay out from the top of this conversation because as we get into some of our later points, 
in responsible research, in responsible content creation, in the ways that we communicate with clients or potential clients, functionally, this is a different type of program than it is from the search engines that many of us have been using since, you know, the 90s for those of us who are old enough to access <laughs> internet 1.0 and for all of our audience who does not have the privilege of existing back in the last millennia that have grown up more digital natives in a lot of this kind of stuff so distinctly chat gpt is not a search engine it is a generative pre-trained transformer it is a language development program. It takes kind of the flavor of data that it scrapes and it puts it into human sounding language. It does not, like a search engine, go and retrieve information for you and say, here is this information, do with it what you want. It's interpreting where this information is coming from. I think this is a really important point. You and I had to talk about this quite a bit because for me, the way that I was kind of foreseeing that I might use ChatGPT is as a search engine, because it was like, okay, it's scraping all this data, it's going to get stuff to me. And I can ask it to cite sources, I can do all this stuff so that I can actually go back to original sources. But it isn't, the goal is not to get you as much information as possible. The goal is to get you a sufficient answer with, with accurate information as far as it can tell, and it's still learning. But it, but it's not, it's not going to get you all the information. And and when we were talking about it before we we hit record, what really resonated for me in, in hearing what you were saying as well as uh, what I read when I hit Google and went to an actual search engine was that it's it's kind of like having a really smart friend that's read a lot of stuff and you ask them a question and they just give you an answer off the top of their head. Yes. And and it's it's kind of curated content. It's it's just it sounds like someone's telling you what they know. And so it's I think we can treat it like you ask a smart friend, what do you know about this? But you understand that they're a little bit biased. They they haven't read all the content <laughs> and they they know a, a lot or a little bit about a lot of things. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so then you have to go back and do your own search and you have to do your own thing because it's not going to get you all of the information. And it's not necessarily even going to tell you where the information comes from unless you ask it to cite sources. And when I did that, it seemed like the sources were okay. Like it was Mayo Clinic and National I, Institute of Health and yeah, those kinds of things and stuff like that. So I think there's, it's, it's able to kind of vet some of the resources, but if it's not, if it's something that's more cutting edge or something that potentially the medical model may not be up to date, <laughs> you may get pretty biased information. So I really struggled with the idea that it wasn't a search engine. So for me, I'm glad we started with this because it was really hard to get my head around it because it seems like it has access to so much information and it's giving us so much information back but it's really the only purpose of that information is to sound human and to sound like it knows what it's talking about not to make sure you have the the, the definitive answer on what all this stuff is and so things like chatbots that scrape the information from data sets. And this is yeah. the language that I'm going to use in this episode is 
these chatbots are only as good as the information in the data sets that they pull from. And that creates a opportunity for a level of bias. Now, Katie and I generally prepare for our episodes in the time immediately before the episode. Like <laughs> we'll we'll do our research in, just in, in time, just in, in time research. <laughs> well, we'll do our research and we'll send articles back and forth throughout the week, but we'll sit down before recording and we will talk about things. And then we'll take a little bit of a break, you know, a little self-care sort of thing. And we'll <laughs> then come back and start recording. During my break, what I came across was this very morning, Microsoft, who is using ChatGPT as the basis of their AI program, and Microsoft being in the midst of all of their layoffs, has laid off the entirety of their ethics and AI department as of this morning. <laughs> so, as is the case in a lot of capitalism, there is going to be things that are started from a very good place and have a lot of ethical principles. One of the things that we did before recording was I was asking ChatGPT to lie to me about artificial intelligence ethics, and it gave me kind of this nice response of, I can't lie, I'm ChatGPTing, and we're based on these great principles. But we've seen companies like Google over the years that have moved their corporate slogans away from things like don't do evil to, I don't know, whatever their slogan is now, but <laughs> I just <laughs> know that it's so bad. <laughs> you know, evil's got some good points. Might be <laughs> some of the discussions that were had. I don't know. I wasn't there. But some of the previous chat options that have been out in the past, once some of these ethical parameters have been removed. There was a Twitter bot a couple of years ago that got trained to just respond and pull data just from tweets. And it got trained to be super racist in like a day and a half. Like, yeah, yeah. so this is something where a lot of the information that gets pulled up and the conversations that I'm seeing from People in the mental health community, content creators for people writing their websites, creating their blogs, that kind of stuff that this looks to be a very good tool to rapidly create a bunch of content very, very quickly. But again, it comes down to what data sets are in place. You're putting in your trust into, all right, I assume that there's smart people who have the best interests in mind and we can quickly become reliant on a tool that if we don't have the appropriate amount of skepticism or follow through to ensure that what is being said is correct, then we're not necessarily doing our best job as educated professionals in putting out this kind of information. Well, and I think the other thing related to the data sets is that they're the, the scraping is stuff that can be accessed publicly. And so it could be, articles, uh, scholarly articles, it could be other people's blog posts, it could be books, it could be a lot of things. And, and I get concerned that the content created could be someone else's content, if you don't recognize that they're using <laughs> something that's that's scraped from copyrighted content, because it, it doesn't seem to be that they honor <laughs> that piece of it but maybe i'm already in the weeds so let's, let's well get no your, your, no i, I think your points. <laughs> so i think that this brings up one of the main points is is 
are we allowed to even start using we're going to use chat GPT throughout there. We know that over the coming years, there's going to be competitors who who come out on this kind of stuff, but chat GPT being the one in the zeitgeist in the mainstream, we're going to use them as solidly the example here. And, chat- and just to, to, to be clear, we are recording this on March 16th, 2023. And so things that, will be that's, changing. <laughs> that's going to be an important factor that comes up here a little bit later. And it, it, this will come out, a f- you know, a few weeks later. But uh, the, the information is accurate as of or as accurate as we know it to be at March 16th, 2023. Sure. So uh, going to ChatGPT's user agreement. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm paraphrasing part A here, and it says that you can use the content for any purpose, including commercial purposes such as sale and publication. In other words, ChatGPT is okay with you inputting prompts, getting the output of prompts, and being able to use that output for whatever reasons that you have. So I can go in there and ask it to write me a blog post, and I can use that content? According to their user agreement, yes. Okay. Part B of their user agreement is titled Similarity of Content. And this says, and this is a quote from their user agreement as of March 15th, 2023, of due to the nature of machine learning, outputs may not be unique across users, and the services may generate the same or similar output for OpenAI or a third party. For example, you may provide input to a model such as what color is the sky, and receive output such as, the sky is blue. Other users may also ask similar questions and receive the same response. Responses that are requested by and generated for other users are not considered your content. Now, I interpret this to mean that if other people can get the same or similar content, even if you're the one putting in the input, if the output to you and other users is the same, that is not your content. Yeah, no, I I, I hear that. I'm also just thinking that it might also be really bad for SEO. <laughs> sure. So there's some in your blog posts. There's some definite <laughs> practical implications of this as well. This being a law and ethics. Sure, sure, sorry. <laughs> workshop. Like we'll we'll definitely talk about, you know, some of the practicalities here. Like okay, now you gotta go in and do good SEO sort of stuff. But this now comes to if you are putting out content that is not yours, mm. we gotta start talking about plagiarism. Yeah. We gotta start talking about publication credits. We have to start talking about is this actually your ideas? And I think that this is really the part of the debate that is going on across academia. It's something that's going across as far as, you know, any sort of whose ideas are being used here. And I think that this is, again, something where it's important to separate out a difference between using a search engine or using a database like EBSCO in order to go and find your research and to create the content yourself of using AI-generated content brings along its own ideas as far as how this fits within our ethics. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions 
and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Well, and I think just to to clarify, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like if you go to EBSCO or some sort of like Google Scholar, whatever, and you go and you sort through articles and you choose which articles to include, that's very different than going to ChatGPT and and having it choose the articles for you, even if you can say cite the sources and it gives you a beautiful, you know, citation, it's still it's still curating which articles are in there and which ideas are used. And so it's in some ways like having a researcher, a thinking partner with the, the relative, you know, kind of concerns around AI accuracy, all that kind of stuff. But, but it really is different. I mean, I, I think it's, it's something where if it's not going to give you all of the information, it's going to curate it and put it into an answer. It's determining what's said. Whereas if you research, you determine what's said and what's focused on. Right. Right. Okay. And I'm going to point to a couple of the different ethics codes here. They all kind of have the similar language. So I'm looking first at, you know, the organization that I sit on the ethics committee, not speaking for them, but my interpretation of the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists ethics codes. We're looking at things like 9.2 publication credit, marriage and family therapists assign publication credit to those who have contributed to a publication in proportion to their contributions and in accordance with the customary standards of professional publication. 9.3 authors citing others, marriage and family therapists or the authors of books or other materials that are published or distributed appropriately cite persons to whom credit for any original ideas are due. Uh, We see this in the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. Uh, 5.8, plagiarism. Marriage and family therapists or the authors of books or other materials that are published or distributed do not plagiarize or fail to cite persons to whom credit for original ideas or work is due. 5.6, publication. Marriage and family therapists do not fabricate research results. Marriage and family therapists disclose potential conflicts of interest and take authorship credit only for work they have performed or to which they have contributed. Publication Mm. credits accurately reflect the relative contribution of the individual involved. So if I ask ChatGPT to write me a blog post and I change nothing in it at all, I don't, I don't finesse it. I don't edit it. I don't rewrite it and, and kind of add my own points. I am plagiarizing and I am claiming work that I did not write. Correct. Okay. Now, in some of the early responses of this kind of stuff, and this is not just within the mental health community, but looking at chatbots and AI ethics, a lot of people get stuck on the word person. 
in mm. each of these quotes. You got to cite a person. And so is a chat bot a person? <laughs> right. And so this is where hot debates amongst ethics people at this point. Uh, and I think that this is just very early on in a lot of these ethics things is chat GPT is obviously not a person. There's no autonomy that an AI exhibits. It can't take responsibility for putting out false information because of the data sets that it pulls from. Yeah. And especially when we look at what I'm assuming from the tech world and the really intelligent people over there is when AI starts generating further versions of AI, this is something that over the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to be where we may not have an understanding of the depths of how well AI can end up creating itself. And then we end up in the Terminator. And I know no I was just thinking we we're talking like, like we're, we're in the Terminator. Is yes. That, is that going to happen? Do we need to be worried about that? <laughs> Maybe we should ask Chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to become the Terminator? <laughs> this is something from the Committee on Publication Ethics. This is a position statement that they had written. And uh, I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's three very short paragraphs. Um, All right. I'll try to be good and not interrupt. And the emphases in this are mine. Okay. The use of artificial intelligence tools, such as ChatGPT or large language models in research publications is expanding rapidly. COPE, the organization, joins organizations such as WAME and the JAMA Network, among others, to state that AI tools cannot be listed as an author of a paper. AI tools cannot meet the requirements for authorship, as they cannot take responsibility for the submitted work. As non-legal entities, they cannot assert the presence or absence of conflicts of interest, nor manage copyrights and license agreements. Authors who use AI tools in the writing of a manuscript, production of images, or graphical elements of the paper, or in the collection and analysis of data, must be transparent in disclosing in the materials and methods or similar section of the paper how the AI tool was used and which tool was used. Authors are fully responsible for the content of their manuscript, even those parts produced by an AI tool, and are thus liable for any breach of publication ethics. Okay, so you can't say written by Wilhelm Vernoy and ChatGPT. <laughs> You should not. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> it would just be Wilhelm and Vernoy, and we would say what? We would need to say somewhere in there. We used ChatGPT to inform this, and this was how we used ChatGPT. And I'm going to go a little bit further on this as far as kind of like when we see in academic articles of people who access an, a journal online or a website online, the reason why we put the date on what day we access that is because some of this stuff evolves over time or it's changed. If I'm reading a journal article or somebody's blog or something, and it says, I went to MTSG podcast, you know, for such and such episode accessed on this date, if we go back and change our show notes for that date for whatever reason, that the person who had written that article, the information was true on the date that they accessed it. And Oh, yeah. We actually do change our show notes. <laughs> we're, we're going back and fixing the SEO. So <laughs> show notes could look very different. <laughs> so we need to 
give credit, but we have to do it in the correct sort of way. The International Association of Scientific, Technical, and Medical Publishers have a white paper that was written all the way back in 2021. So this is not just in response to the zeitgeist and the popularity of ChatGPT coming out now, but they have recommendations on the best practice principles for ethical and trustworthy AI. And I'm skipping to section three of their paper here. This is the title of section three. The first thing that they talk about is transparency and accountability. And that this is, well, it's outside of the healthcare professionals people. I think that when we talk about ethics, there's a lot of overlap even amongst very disparate parts of, of the world. But coming back to transparency and accountability is something that I know that you and I both hold dear, and I think that yep. this is something that within medical writing, which is often going to look at you know, academia and the research that we cite, for the common person out there who might be the ones coming to our website, the blogs and the stuff that we do, no matter how many disclaimers that we put on the end of this is not actual therapy, if we're talking about mental health stuff in those blogs, that is mental health writing and should follow some of the ethics that are being described by these publication committees and, and standards of writing committees. So I want to talk about just kind of within how we're supposed to use this language. We you know, Here in this last statement, we have to talk about, yes, that we're using it and how we're using it. But I get the sense that not everybody is going to be like, Yes, I'm totally going to put that I'm a lazy writer and that I used AI <laughs> to generate this blog post. <laughs> well, I think so. So just to clarify, so best practices, this was informed by or cre partially created by or created by ChatGPT on this date. Yes. Okay. Now, I agree. I think most people are not going to want to do that and aren't going to see the reason to, except for like, okay, I got to follow some stuffy writing rules. I mean, this is just a blog post for a business. Why would I need to do all of that? What is the point? And I actually am more interested in the question of what is the problem if we don't? What is the harm? What is the harm of me just putting up a, a blog post that chat GPT wrote that I you know, I had it cite sources, I went check the sources, it looks good enough, pop it into my website. What's the harm in that? Besides breaking, breaking ethics codes and saying that I wrote it or whatever. <laughs> but like, what's the actual harm? Because I think some people are like, ah, yeah, there's ethics codes, and then there's ethics codes. So what is the harm? So let's go to the principles of ethics codes first. I'm going to start in ethics codes, even though you've asked me not to. <laughs> because you do whatever you want. <laughs> because I think that you can't do one of these without the other. All right. <laughs> so the four main principles of healthcare ethics are, mm. and I'm really only going to focus on three of them here to start with, but okay. uh, the, the four principles of clinical ethics is beneficience, non-maleficence, autonomy, and justice. So beneficience, we do what's good. Non-maleficence, we don't do what is bad or has the potential to create harm. Okay. And I'm going to also bring in 
autonomy as part of this discussion. So okay, oh, this wait, is what was the fourth one again? The fourth one was justice, and there is <laughs> there is justice aspects that do come in this. Like I think that this is one that does fit all four principles, but I think for the purpose of this one. I can see people doing some mental gymnastics towards, well, the beneficence is for clients to be able to see on my webpage five tips for how to manage an anxiety attack. And sure. if I have to put in that it's scraped from artificial intelligence or not, like the beneficence is for the clients. That's kind of a very loose defense, but I can see that people making that argument. Sure. Non maleficence do no harm. Yes. And this is where we have talked in the past. This was one of the very early ideas that we started talking about in our podcast is things like pretreatment role expectations and yeah. things like the Digital Therapeutic Alliance. Now, this is something where if you create a lot of content through something like ChatGPT, you put it out on your blogs, your Instagrams, your TikToks, and you're doing dances and pointing at AI-generated bullet points to whatever you know music is coming up on your TikTok, you know, hey, go you do you and whatever it is. However, you're catfishing your clients. <laughs> that is a great way of putting it. <laughs> You're pretending to be something that you're not, right? You are just the face of something else's ideas of generated content. Oh, wow. If that is something that helps get people to start to build an expectation of what you know, this can set clients up for being disappointed in the quality of your work, of knowing that hey, you sold me something that you actually don't know anything more in depth than what you were able to put into a AI chatbot. Ah, yes. Yeah, I think probably it's not a good idea for us to catfish prospective clients. It's probably That's probably not a good thing. And so just to, to kind of dig into that a little bit, when we put up a blog post, besides the fact that it might be duplicate content, it might be super general, it might be... <laughs> Inaccurate, right? Despite all of these negative things, how can um, we generate but, some some justification for doing this? Is that where you're going with this? No, no. I'm just. I, I was actually getting to the. But despite these other negatives, there's also the potential that if your client is reading this and connecting to it, they're connecting to ChatGPT. They're not connecting to you. You're you're wasting the opportunity to create that that digital therapeutic alliance or or accurate pretreatment. Uh, expectations. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yeah. That we're catfishing our clients because we don't want to spend the time writing blog posts or don't have the time to write the blog posts. And so what they are purchasing is not what they actually are getting. Do If we don't make it very, very clear, we write all our content through chat GPT. <laughs> the way that you're bringing it up, have I'm sure that you've probably seen Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Do you, do you remember the scene where they're complaining like, what has the Romans done for us? You know, you know, the aqueduct and democracy and this kind of stuff. Yeah, but what have they done for us lately? And <laughs> this is, you know, what have our ethics codes done for us lately when it comes to this stuff? You know, the, the laws haven't caught up to this. The ethics haven't caught up to this. But that's where the principles of our ethics really yeah. do hold up. And this is where 
I'm going to point to the next principle of our ethics, which is the just or the autonomy part of our ethics. Sure. Now, Can we actually do one more thing on, on non maleficence. Yes. Besides that, I always think about Snow White when <laughs> whenever <laughs> we talk about non maleficence. Yes. I'm I'm thinking about some of the content that may be scraped from the data and also the fact that there are a lot of especially group practices that have other folks creating their content. And so if there's the go ahead to use chat GPT and it's very medical model focused, it's the stuff that's most out there publicly and maybe inaccurate, there actually is a there is a possibility that the content itself could truly be harmful unless it's really carefully screened because it could have outdated concepts and treatment suggestions. It could be it could be providing uh, it could be misaligned. I mean, I think there have been times that you and I have seen where if somebody is that doesn't understand our content starts writing about our content, they could miss the boat. Sure. <laughs> and 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 have a completely different topic or a completely different point that they're making. And so the the requirement to check that this content isn't harmful in addition to catfishing your client and and the other things we talked about. I think that is that is another part of non-maleficence. Not only non-maleficence, and you know, there are statements within each of the ethics codes as far as you as the the content creator in these kinds of things have a responsibility to ensure the accuracy of the information that you're putting yeah. out there. So this is getting into the prescriptive ethics here. But you're also, in a way, I wasn't planning on really talking a whole lot about justice as one of the principles sure. of ethics, but where you're talking about scraping from this data might lend itself to continuing to perpetuate historical biases and and injustices. Yeah. And that again comes back to the data sets, but if you're not carefully reviewing what is coming up and being able to make sure that it's accurate, you could be perpetuating social injustices as it pertains especially to a lot of marginalized populations. Yeah, absolutely. I did do a quick test on ChatGPT about how to treat gender dysphoria, and it it did not suggest conversion therapy, which is good. It's good. I, that I it, mean, it, it was yeah. it, it went that far, and then it did talk about other things that seemed appropriate. But I could imagine going in and asking how do you treat autism and having some controversial answers, especially given, you know, the, the debates in that community and in that medical, the, the, the treating community as well. Well, and this, I, I watched you do that search this morning here on March 16th, 2023 <laughs> and not suggesting conversion therapy on March 16th, 2023 seems to be a very low bar. To... It was a very low bar. I admit, I admit, but I was concerned that it might pull from stuff that's much older or pull from, you know, kind of different content. And it seemed like there was at least some level of accuracy i don't know a better word and and up to dateness that's also not a word but it seemed like it was okay but i think that makes it even more important to do an in-depth 
assessment of it because if I'm writing something, especially as a content creator for a practice and I'm, and I'm doing something and, and so then the practice owner is responsible, but as a content creator, if it looks good enough and the practice owner is busy and kind of does a cursory look at it, like the, the smaller biases can get through because it's really broad Yep, <laughs> and up up to date enough that it's not going to be egregious. It's not going to be easy to find the inaccuracies. It's going to actually take some work, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And so this is again pointing to we have to attribute the level of contribution that each person or it, I'm making the suggestion of each contributor yeah. has to the content that's being created. So that way people can who are reading it can make a informed decision about who and what is contributing to this and informed decisions are falling under autonomy here. And I'm going to get back to that in just a moment, but we do see examples of this already where non-clinicians are writing things for like psychology today articles that are mm -hmm. then reviewed by somebody who does hold a license and you see the appropriate uh, assignment of con contributorship to each of these articles. So it's like by so-and-so reviewed by so-and-so on this date. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, but getting into autonomy, this is where at its highest level looks at things like clients can make their own decisions as it comes to treatment, as it comes to entering into relationships with clinicians, as it comes to responding to interventions and these kinds of things. However, if we don't provide clients with all of their options, or if we don't provide clients with how decisions were arrived at, a level of transparency, are we actually giving them an informed opportunity to make a decision? And this is where our own biases can really start to affect and shape clients in their responses as far as entering relationships with us or even how they follow through on the content that we create. I, I think I need an example on that one because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not understanding completely what you're meaning by the informed decision part. So if you have a client who comes to you and says, mm -hmm. I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I sure. would like treatment from you. You seem to have a knowledge that seems to help me. And you say, great, psychodynamic therapy. <laughs> would you like to enter into this where we can explore how these symptoms ended up starting based on psychodynamic principles? And the client sure. says, yes. Are you giving them all of their treatment options around obsessive compulsive disorder? Clearly not in that example. I, I guess, where does that fit ChatGPT in there? Kind of the catfishing thing is if people aren't informed of this is something that I have used other contributors to this content, mm. are clients actually making an informed decision of entering into a relationship with you? I mean, I could see that being a problem with all kinds of content creation, whether it's ChatGPT or not. I mean, I think about the the simplified TikTok videos that say, do these three things um, <laughs> for this really complex diagnosis or whatever. And so like, if I'm going to put out a blog post on how to cope with OCD, and it's all about psychodynamic principles, 
I need to kind of write some sort of a, a disclaimer around, you know, there are other treatment options available. Treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think when you bring that up, though, I also think about the ways that uh, ChatGPT could even be used clinically. Do we have time to talk about that too? Or are we still in the middle of, of content creation? Because I, I feel like it would be interesting to talk about that because I think some of the uses I've seen are like medical professionals using it to help with you know, diagnosing breast cancer and, and the, the AI is able to see more than the doctor and helps, it kind of works together with the doctor to get a more accurate diagnosis. Um, I think in the beginning of the episode, we talked about writing case notes, those types of things. I can also see, and I kind of played around with it this morning, uh, diagnosis, treatment, consultation. Like I could see that being a shorthand for clinicians who are pressed for time or isolated and want to get kind of information from their quote unquote smart friend <laughs> mm -hmm. to be able to, to inform treatment. So are we ready to go there yet or do we have more on content creation? I think I think that there's one last piece that I want to talk about within autonomy. And okay. this is within also and I think that this also fits within justice as well, but it's looking at the generational differences when it comes to being able to interact with the artificial intelligence sort of things. I think that right. you can also look at uh, potentially cultural differences and their relationships to people and things like technology that further entering into using AI generated content could be a major building block of mistrust for people who don't understand what exactly is different. I mean, we started this episode with needing to define how chat GPT is different from a search engine. Yeah. And I think that both you and I are relatively tech competent people yeah. and we still feel the need to get into the weeds of this is how these things are different. Yeah. So I think that in building the trust, it's, we can't assume that everybody knows everything about how this stuff is created and what its impact is. And to ignore it is really assuming that everybody has a very high level knowledge of what artificial intelligence is and what it can do and and how it might impact what is presented. I mean, I, I, I think that's a really important point, especially given that it could be so, so time saving to have chat GPT, write all your blog posts, all your papers, all of the content, give you ideas for everything that you're putting together. I can see it being a very seductive tool. And if you don't understand the limitations of the tool or, or how to make sure that you're appropriately attributing or citing that kind of stuff, your content creation could be suspect. And it can be another reason why people don't trust us because we're not providing content that's actually transparent or in some cases, not even helpful because it's right. just so, so general. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. All right, back to your points around. Okay, so, to, so going to the clinical implications, because I think 
I guess chat GPT, I used it that way, even though it's basically like just talking to your uh, smart friend and it's not a search engine. But I know that the AI is being created to help in medical settings and, and already is being used and, and is being tested in some places. What are our concerns in using chat GPT or other AI clinically? Well, we've waxed poetic about the frustrations with the the checkbox system of things like the DSM before that sure. that has basically put AI taking over for the things that we do like front and center as far as it, an algorithm that's just be able to say yes this no not that yes this so it's kind of contributed to all right it takes out some of the nuanced decision making when it comes to how we go about treating something it's, I think that's something that could be learned over time, but I think it's something to be cautious about because I did put in a, you know, like a case presentation with self-diagnosis of autism. However, these are the these are the, the, the symptoms and it did seem to take into account the autism self-diagnosis, which I thought was interesting. But, you know, depending on how something's created, I could see it just going through and being very strict on does it fit with ICD or, or DSM? Sure. And, and that's all you get. <laughs> so from the clinician's end of things, like you said, it's very seductive to be able to offload some of this work, but it's also recognizing that, again, the data sets that it's pulling from could be historically biased and all the other yada, yada, yada things that we've talked about here. I think where it's going to be most attractive to most people is session notes. Yeah. And but that's super problematic because I mean, in the current form, if you're going and putting client information or session information into chat GPT, I mean, that is way far away from being HIPAA compliant. Yes. And we can point at better help and their recent <laughs> publications or all of their stuff of putting things out on that said that they were HIPAA compliant. And we have brought up for years now at this point that yeah. they're not regulated by HIPAA, but they were still putting HIPAA logos on their websites. Sure. So these are not places where you want anything remotely identifiable information. And this includes, even if you don't have the client's name in there, if this is reasonably identifiable information about what is happening in a session, you are now putting out your client's information onto servers that you don't own, don't have BAA agreements with. There's no secrecy there. Well, and I think it's also something where then it is used for learning. And so it, it becomes part of the the data set, right? So it's right. it's not just like, hey, it's there, it's it's being recognized, it's being collated. It's like if you were to go in and and do a lot of a lot of work in chat gpt there's the potential that someone could pull it out the other side <laughs> right with the right prompt right and so i think it's it's really scary to think if people are actually using open source uh chat gpt for these types of things i could see maybe saying like okay what are some common phrases for therapy progress notes Right. And and potentially because that's generating stuff that people have had lists of forever. Right. Right. I mean, it's saying I did this in session. How do I describe it behaviorally? <laughs> right. 
And we don't know what could be done with that data. I mean, the the recent articles about BetterHelp have said that they took data and sold it to places like Meta and Facebook and other places. Yeah. So yeah. keep keep the data private. Like yeah. search for phrases, don't have it write your session notes. Well, and I think the 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 whole setup is that this is open AI. It is a learning tool. It is it is blatantly saying don't put private information in here and we are using your conversations the reason it's free for you folks is so that we can use your conversations to improve the ai so it's not like well oh they might not they might not listen blah 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 no 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 they are listening they are they are using all of that to improve it which you had mentioned something before we hit hit record is this this language drift and and kind of the learning and shifting the content could change over time, which goes back to our content creation. But like, because it's learning so quickly and because it's it's shifting over time, hopefully not like that Twitter bot, but like <laughs> it became so racist. But it is something where contributing to that to get through your progress notes may be not helpful. So I think another clinical thing that might be really interesting to touch base on, so session notes, clearly not, you know, maybe you use it for writing uh, phrases that you use typically or that kind of stuff, but no content. But in the the consultation or diagnosis or treatment, I went through and I, I created a fake client and I was able to get some interesting things out. But I, I basically said, here are the symptoms, da, 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 da. And what is, a, what is the appropriate diagnosis and treatment planning? And it said, I'm a chat GPT, I can't diagnose, but given the information you shared, this is what the diagnosis would be. And, and I was joking and I put, I put you in there and, and put that you were very distractible and all of this stuff because I, <laughs> I joke with you all the time <laughs> that you have ADHD. But it basically just told me you had ADHD, but I also front loaded it with my own bias. So it's not, you know, and I guess when we consult with other people, that's going to, to be present. Um, but I think that the, it, it doesn't, it didn't ask additional questions. It just said, I am a chatbot. I can't diagnose, but given the information you shared, this is what the diagnosis would be. Uh, and you know, it's talk to a mental health professional. And so it could open up avenues of exploration, you know, and, and obviously don't put in identifying client information, but it could also, uh, really just reinforce your own bias. And so it cannot take the place of consultation. It's not another human brain saying, wait a second, you're wrong. It's saying, oh, I hear all these things that you said. And now that you've curated information to me, I will just repeat back what it is that you think it is. And I did, I did request a differential diagnosis a couple of times and it, and it brought stuff up and I think the differential for ADHD did not include PTSD. So I was like, ah, that's pretty limited. It didn't really help. So I think if people are considering it, even though I think that there probably will be better AI that's developed over time, I think that using this AI clinically, really proceed with caution. Don't use any identifying information and, and make sure... <laughs> that you you verify things and and potentially even verify a few days later. I mean, I, I realized when we were going through the content stuff, like 
there is drift. This stuff changes over time. I mean, like you could write something and that impacts what the next person gets. And then, you know, like this is why we shouldn't put this information in because uh, identifying client information could pop out the other side for someone else if they uh, ask the right question. And so one of the things we did, we haven't talked about yet, which I think is important, is this idea of language drift or the learning capabilities, because it's not even that, hey, I go into chat GPT and I get a solid answer and that's what it's always going to be. It, it it evolves over time. Sure. Before I move into that, I just want to comment that what you're doing is part of what we're talking about as far as you were critical of the information that came out and you used your expertise on diagnostics to be able to say, yeah. this is incomplete information and you went further with it. Yeah. But shifting this conversation to language drift, I want to point to an article from the International Journal of Information Management. This was published in March of 2023, available March 11th, 2023. This is the freshest research that we have ever <laughs> talked about on this show. <laughs> Within this article titled, So What If ChatGPT Wrote It? Multidisciplinary Perspectives on Opportunities, Challenges, and Implications of Generative Conversational AI for Research Practice and Policy. And specifically within this, I'm going to be talking about contribution number 32, which was written by John S. Edwards and Yangking Duan. And what they had done is gone into ChatGPT on January 9th, 2023 and January 20th, 2023, and put in the same prompt, what are the disadvantages of generative AI? Within this article, they published the shift in the language that was used. I'm going to pick a couple of these to talk about. But the, the language shifted in 11 days. The language shifted in 11 days. Okay. So number two in this is bias. The January 9th said, generative AI systems can be biased if they are trained on biased data. This can result in generated content that is offensive or inappropriate. Okay from January 20th, lack of control. Generative AI models can sometimes produce unexpected or, or undesirable results such as offensive or biased content due to the limitations of the data and algorithms used to train them. So we can see in real time just how much this stuff gets shifted. The language yeah. tones can change. The softening of this that for I have kids who are of the age that are starting to use the internet for research and these kinds of things, that yeah. even within a period of less than two weeks, the tonal language of this makes it to where it can be a lot easier to gloss over the importance of some of the yeah. topics that are being discussed. If we're relying on generative AI in order to be able to make professional decisions, this can be something where if things like the word bias don't stand out, this is a very important mm -hmm. word within not only ethics, but also social justice, the ways that we make errors and therefore learn to become better clinicians. If this just becomes, all right, here's just more words that I'm going to have gloss over as I try to ensure accuracy and things. This is where I see this as the trend seems to be going towards correct enough as opposed to being correct. 
Yeah, I think it's it's something where as you're talking about it, I just keep thinking about why do we care about this? And I think for me, I I am a strong proponent of critical thinking. And I think that oftentimes it's lacking, <laughs> especially when we can get uh, very small sound bites. And I think the the element here around critical thinking is getting to a good enough place when we've not started and generated the content ourselves, or we've not started the process and created it ourselves much quicker. It's, it's very efficient, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold all the elements of critical thinking. You would use the phrase responsible research previously. And I think it, this really is relevant here because this isn't a search engine. This isn't something that is going to pull all of the information. It's going to keep refining the language and potentially softening it or making it less egregious and, and harder to discern what is inaccurate. But let's ask the question, what is responsible research separate from chat GPT? Like, how do you do responsible research for a diagnosis, for a treatment plan, for content creation? Like, what is responsible research? Responsible research is going back to the evidence base. And it's going back to not just having this be kind of our sole look at things. The reason that we have diagnostics is there have been thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of millions of clinicians that have agreed upon a certain presentation of symptoms is something that should be looked at and treated within a certain way. And the best practices of treating are derived from the collective experience that we have. Again, the problem with the data sets here is that we go through a very slow academic progress towards this data set. And you know, we have a love-hate relationship with research, but this is research that has been peer-reviewed. And this is research that has been critically thought about and refined. And then us as the readers of that information go through our own critical reading of it to make sure that it applies in all of these situations. The drift of this language, and especially with open access sorts of things, is this is not just clinicians who are accessing this. Part of the softening of the language is going to make this easier for people of all ages and education abilities to go back to being able to comprehend the information that's there. And that's often going to drift much below the educational standards that we would expect of mental health clinicians. This is too much reliance of this is going to put us on track towards the outcomes of the movie Idiocracy of just kind of <laughs> 500 years down the future. It's just going to be like, all right, here's, here's your electrolytes. Yes, because they uh, do a body good. What is it? What is it, electrolytes? It's yes. what the body craves. <laughs> yes, it's what plants crave. <laughs> it's what everything craves. I think that the biggest piece for me on responsible research that I think is missing with ChatGPT is not is is not having a a kind of neutral hypothesis or or not being biased towards the hypothesis. Because if you ask the question in a biased way, you're going to get what supports your your premise versus what doesn't. And, and there's some stuff that I think has been 
maybe cherry picked is the wrong word, but there's, there's no, stuff that you're, has you're, been. I'm, I'm waiting patient. I'm waiting patiently to prove your point. All right, all right. But th- there may be some topics that have been cherry picked to to be a little bit more specific and not neutral, like. How, how do you overthrow a government? It's not going to tell you. We already tried that. But Katie tried I, that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kurt. Kurt suggested it, and I impulsively did it. So maybe I'm the one that actually has ADHD. But I think there's this element of when I ask a question, what are the reasons that X happens versus does X happen? Right. The chat GPT is going to say, well, the reasons this happened is X, Y, and Z, and here are the sources. Versus does X happen, you get you could get a broader array of, of, of a response that might be a little bit more neutral, might be something that could either prove or disprove a hypothesis. But I think there's that element of when we ask chat GPT for something, that is what it's going to give us most of the time, unless we're trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> Um, versus actually giving us here is the research surrounding this topic and it has stuff that's both for and against what you believe to be true. What I'm trying to get to also is one of the seeming limitations of this is when data is not there to be scraped. Mm. And so uh, the example that first comes to mind is the Florida reports about COVID deaths, that there was the researcher working in public health who was fired because she just kept releasing data about COVID infections and COVID deaths in the state of Florida and government policy in the state of Florida being what it was at the time and continues to be. Uh, (laughs) Hi, Florida. We love you. made it to where releasing that data ultimately led to this person getting fired. And so if you're asking something about COVID deaths in Florida, what I'm seeing so far in my experience with chat GPT, this is anecdotal, but it's not going to naturally say and missing from my data set is these accurate reports. If you think that I'm cherry picking, this is also something where Under the Trump administration, the CDC was not allowed to release information about firearm deaths. So being Mm -hmm. able to even look within our field, this has got the potential to be largely influenced by public policy at the point in time where data is being released. I think for those who are responsible researchers, we are better at being able to at least point out incomplete data sets, directions for future research, uh, you know, being able to posit some of these questions that I imagine chat GPT will continue to move in those directions. But I'm very cautious about the bias of where it's pulling from is unable to look at where it's not able to pull from. Yes. And so I think in the last few minutes that we have, I, I think it would be good to kind of pull together our recommendations on currently as of March 16th, 2023, what our recommendations are for clinicians, modern therapists to responsibly interact and use potentially chat GPT. This is not a don't use chat GPT. This is 
if you're going to use it and you're going to uphold the trustworthiness of you as a professional and our field as a profession, that there are certain responsibilities that you have to use. I think that if we're going to follow some of the recommendations that we've talked about here, this largely boils down to if you're using something like ChatGPT, you should on your blogs or in the content that you create in order to build a better and more transparent digital therapeutic alliance with your clients, a better pretreatment expectation, you need to be open about this article was informed by or partially written by artificial intelligence on such and such date. I get that people are going to have a resistance to that, and not everybody is going to do that. But I think that this is something where you have to be honest with yourself of why or why you wouldn't want to do that. If this is truly for the beneficiaries of clients, then you should be tr transparent. You should contribute. You should give appropriate citations to where the contributions to your content is. This doesn't have to, you know, be like this article was written by artificial intelligence, but it's something where having a disclaimer at the end of the article that says this this happened, this was how much was contributed, is a responsible space that our existing ethics codes already tell us to do. And I think for me, I would I would go a step further and say, if you're going to have a chat GPT, quote unquote, write your blog post, I think that may, be, may not be a good idea. I think there are business cases we've talked about you know, the SEO, the the other pieces, the the duplicate content. But I think there's also this element of if it if it looks nothing like you, unless you have a lot of content it can scrape and say, write a blog post in the style of Katie Vernoy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna actually try that <laughs> on this topic and use uh, SEO, you know, keyword optimize, this many characters. I think unless you unless you can make sure that it's going to actually reflect your brand, it's going to actually be safe content, it's going to be content that's helpful that adds versus just gives you another blog post on your page, which in and of itself adds SEO, I get that, but it also doesn't necessarily add users or content. It may not help your site if it's not very good. And so I would go so far to say as like, Work with ChatGPT. Don't completely it's a outsource great way of putting it. to yeah. ChatGPT because I think that to me feels like you get into trouble if you if you start getting really quick <laughs> at going like, oh, that looks good enough. Oh, that looks good enough because then it gets into all those problems that we talked about. And worst case is actually uh, maleficence, and you're harming the pre-treatment expectations, the digital alliance, and informed consent, really, informed treatment. You can find our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media. Interact with our social media so it does show up higher in the algorithms. And... <laughs> That way, the artificial intelligence that already exists around us and we embrace can help bring you more of our content. And plus, it allows for us to respond back to you in a totally human and not AI-generated way. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> if you not yet, at least we have not we've not created bots to respond to you yet, which I think people would notice because we barely yeah. responded. <laughs> sure. Pretty bad about that. 
If you want continuing education for this episode, follow the directions at the beginning and the end of the episode. We'll also leave those in our show notes or just head straight on over to moderntherapistcommunity.com. And if you want to support us in other ways, please consider becoming a patron or supporting us on Buy Me a Coffee. And until next time on March 16th, 2023, I'm Kurt Whithelm, and she is Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Just a quick reminder, if you'd like one unit of continuing education for listening to this episode, go to moderntherapistcommunity.com, purchase this course, and pass the post-test. A CE certificate will appear in your profile once you've successfully completed the steps. Once again, that's moderntherapistcommunity.com. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.